video, and so we're just going to take a few moments and uh, direct our hearts to the Word of God and uh, prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. But before we do that, just a real quick important announcement. So next week on Easter uh, is going to be kind of a preview event for the launch of our Middletown campus. It's something we've been uh, praying over and planning for well over a year now. So we're going to have an egg hunt to kind of introduce ourselves to the community on Easter. And so you can be a part of that. But then tonight at 4 o'clock, we're going to meet over there and pass out some flyers to invite the community to come to the Easter egg hunt uh, next Sunday. And so I believe it's next Sunday at 4 o'clock. Is that right, Michael? And so we'll meet tonight at 4 o'clock in Middletown. And the address is 1701 Columbia. And so it's super easy to find. So 1701 Columbia. So if you can join us at 4 o'clock to help us pass out flyers to introduce ourselves to the community on Easter for the launch of our Middletown campus, a preview event, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Well, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles. As again, we just hear a few moments and prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. And for everybody who's here today who's a baptized believer, we invite you to participate and celebrate with us uh, the elements and what they represent. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11 is where I want to direct our thoughts this morning. Last week, I challenged us from uh, Matthew chapter 27 about what it looks like to truly follow the example of Christ, uh, of a Savior who loved people who hated him to the point of experiencing personal injustice. And if we're going to be his ambassadors, we're called to do the same thing in a culture that may stand against us. And the challenge is, as we shared last week, is that we're currently living in a cultural moment where it feels like everybody hates everybody. And so I don't think there's a, a more needed and stronger witness Uh, in this moment than to love people who may not love us in return. We're living in a cultural moment uh, where we are quick to cancel other people. And cancer culture is the exact opposite of restorative grace that we're called to model. And so listen to these verses in the the book of Matthew before we get into 2 Corinthians. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 and 24, Jesus says, hey, if you've got Uh, Know that someone has something against you. Before you come and bring a gift of worship to the altar, you need to go and reconcile with that person. You don't cancel them. You pursue them with the love of Christ. And so here's what he says. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. That phrasing is important. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And so several commentators have argued that that phrasing, he has something against you, it means he has tangible evidence that somehow you've wronged him. And he said, so if you're in the wrong, you should go and pursue reconciliation with that other person. But he also addresses the reverse of that scenario in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, so the first one is, hey, this is your fault, pursue reconciliation. He's saying, but now... When you've been the victim of of being sinned against, then you go to him. And so what Jesus is teaching here says, hey, no matter which side of an offense you're on, whether you're the offender or the one who's uh, received an offense against you, he said it does not matter. You should be the one pursuing reconciliation and extending forgiveness to those who have sinned against you. And so can you imagine if we as Christians actually lived like that and lived that out in a cancel culture, how radically attractive Christ and His grace would be to those who are far from Him. This idea of forgiveness is at the very heart of the gospel message. And so I just want to share a few thoughts out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 
If you're a huge fan of short sermons, you have come to the right Sunday at Liberty Heights Church, all right? So, 2 Corinthians, someone said amen. I'm going to pretend that wasn't, didn't happen. person is spiritual Tourette's, all right? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, reads this way. But, if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. The punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary... You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Uh, for many years, uh, a man named Byron Paulus led a revival ministry called Life Action Ministries. And they saw genuine revival break out all over the country over the last several decades of ministry. And he said, here's what I've learned about the power of forgiveness. Uh, and why revival often tarries in our churches and, and therefore in our co- country and culture. Here's what he said. He said, after reaching out to more than Four million believers in 6,000 churches during the past four decades, our team of revivalists would unanimously concur that the number one problem they encounter is unforgiveness. He said bitterness is rampant, forgiveness is not. And he said in church after church, as life action proclaims the truth about bitterness and forgiveness, we finally hear powerful testimonies of God setting people free from bitterness and God sending revival. And so it's at that point that 2 Corinthians chapter 2 becomes so incredibly relevant. In this paragraph, Paul's challenging the, the Christians at Corinth to, to forgive a person. And here's what I want you to understand. When we read those verses, there's no doubt this person was absolutely uh, guilty. Uh, several co- uh, commentators have um, nicknamed this guy the great offender. How would you like that to be your nickname? <laughs> right? And so this guy clearly is on the wrong side. He's clearly the one who has been in the wrong. And some commentators have argued, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, there was a man there in uh, the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he was guilty of sexual immorality and he was unrepentant. And so uh, Paul said, hey, you've got to remove that guy from fellowship. You've got to excommunicate him because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he said, if you don't do that, then the world who's watching is going to think that the church is totally fine with sin and unrepentant sin specifically and so what Paul is saying you're saying hey you did the right thing he said the action that you take what may have been difficult it was absolutely appropriate but now some time has passed and we're not sure how long and apparently this man has came to the point of repentance and Paul's saying hey listen enough is enough you who have received mercy should make the mercy of God tangible in this man's life and receive him so that he's not overcome with too great of a sorrow. And so clearly, this man has come to the place of repentance and Paul's saying you should reconcile that relationship. And part of the reason our country's in such a mess is because we can't model this type of reconciliatory grace. We find a person... Uh, is wrong of something, even if they confess it, even if they own it, even if they repent of it, even if they live a life pattern that shows 
repentance and going in a different direction, we've came to a moment in our culture where we just said, cancel that person. Their time is done. That's the exact opposite of what's being taught here in First and Second Corinthians. He says, hey, when a person comes to repentance, you should reconcile that person back into fellowship, into your life. And if you don't, then for unforgiveness will take root in your heart and you'll be defiled by your own bitterness. Now, if you're listening, say amen. I'm not preaching this devotion this morning for someone that you know who's not here that needs to hear this. All right? This is God's word to you and I. And so let me share a couple quick thoughts about forgiveness before we come to the Lord's table today. First thing I want you to see in this passage is simply this, is that forgiveness makes God's mercy tangible. The passage begins by stating the adequacy of the church's previous dis- discipline. Go back to verses 5 and 6, and what's he say? If anyone's caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. And then verse 6, here's what he says. The punishment which was inflicted, so removing this unrepentant guy from fellowship, excommunicating him, practicing church discipline, that's what he's describing, by the majority is sufficient for such a man. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, what you did, it was appropriate. And you meted out or distributed the appropriate amount of justice for this person who would not come to repentance. And so sometimes we... We wonder, well, when that happens, at at what point do we forgive that person? Well, I want you to understand something. There's never a reason not to forgive someone. Now, it may be unwise to fully reconcile a relationship. If that person has not borne fruit worthy of repentance, I would always encourage people, wait and see a pattern of repentance because truth and time go hand in hand. But the idea that you and I would release bitterness, uh, not seek revenge, not repay evil for evil, which is silent revenge that Romans talks about there's never an excuse not to forgive even though sometimes it may be unwise to reconcile that relationship why is that here's why because forgiveness displays makes tangible the mercy of God consider David's words in Psalm 103 he says the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this, Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for He has said that He will repay those who deserve it. And here's why. That if you're not careful, the Scripture says that a root of bitterness can spring up in our hearts. And when that happens, guess what? Bitterness has an insatiable appetite. It never retreats until you come to the place of repentance. I love what one writer said about unforgiveness, he said unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, hey, listen, church at Corinth, they were immoral. He says, all of you, all of you have received the mercy of God for your sin, and it's time to make that mercy tangible and forgive this man. Listen, he took his punishment. He's repentant. You've done enough. Restore him. By forgiving him. So forgiveness makes God's mercy tangible. And we've been recipients of it, so we should be generous with it. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is this, is that forgiveness displays spiritual maturity. You've heard us say many times that mature people live by their commitments and convictions, and immature people live by their emotions. 
Do you know another word for living by your commitments and convictions? It's the word obedience. Look at verse 9. What's he say? In verse 9 he says this. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test. What's the test? Whether you are obedient in all things. And so the, the temptation they have is to not be obedient and restore this man. They say, oh, you don't, you don't know the damage that he caused. You don't know the ripple effect of his sin and, and what he did that's recorded there in 1 Corinthians. You don't know how many times he told us he was sorry, but, but his life showed over time that he, in fact, was not sorry. You don't know how many times I forgave him over and over and over again. And so what he's saying is, hey, are you by faith going to do what God has called you to do, or are you going to be a prisoner of your own emotions? And can we just be honest? Being angry feels good at someone. Amen? It satisfies our flesh. And if you're like, I don't think it feels good at all. Here's what I know about you then. You don't have children. Am I right? (laughs) Most of the time that I've been sinfully angry, not appropriately angry at my kids, it's because it felt good to be angry at someone who sinned against me. Not always against the Lord, but against me from my selfish perspective. And so here's the reality. What he's telling them is, are you going to be obedient? Or are you going to be a slave to your emotions? Because here's what I want you to understand when it comes to forgiveness. If you're waiting for your emotions to catch up so that you can obey, the enemy will make sure that you never feel like forgiving someone else. And so you display spiritual maturity by obediently choosing to extend forgiveness. Now, what are the choices that lead to forgiveness. I want to share two things. We've taught this before as a reminder. What, what is forgiveness exactly? It's two things. Number one, it's a decision. It's a decision. I'm choosing to forgive that person. And when I make the choice to release the person from the obligation that resulted when they sinned against me, I'm choosing to release a debt between us. That's what forgiveness literally means, to release a debt. And so when I do that, I'm making the choice of forgiveness. I'm not justifying what they've done. I'm not excusing it. It's not the absence of future accountability. It's not being wise about waiting to reconcile. But I'm choosing to release the debt, knowing, you and I knowing, that it both happened. But I'm choosing to move ahead in spite of that. But if you're like me, sometimes you've made that choice. And you find yourself going back and revisiting that. Am I right? I chose to forgive them, but I find myself angry again with them. Well, not only is forgiveness a choice, it's also a process. In the decision of forgiveness, we say, I choose to forgive. But in the process, we say this, I'm going to treat you as though it never happened. Now, what's the process look like? Let me spell it out for you. And FYI, it gets progressively harder. The first uh, step in the process is this. I won't bring the offense up to the person except for their benefit. Not for my benefit. Remember what you did? You know, like I've got leverage on them. How is it for their benefit? Because I see them blindly heading down that same path towards that same sin that caused the offense before. So I won't bring it up to the other person except for their benefit. Number two, I won't bring the offense up to others. And number three, I won't bring the offense up to myself. Meditate on that and all the wrong things they've done to me. And some of you are thinking, I, I can't do that. Listen, I would agree. It requires the supernatural work of Christ in us to live like that. third thing I want you to see is this. Forgiveness protects us spiritually. You see, what do you mean? Look at verse 11. We're almost done. Look at verse 11. He's saying, if you don't restore this person, if you don't forgive them, verse 10, 
Then look what he says in verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. Now that word advantage in the uh, original language, uh, some translations uh, read it as schemes. It's the idea of a military strategy. It's the idea of where the enemy comes in and sets up camp where you're unaware to attack you. Here's what he's saying. If you don't release bitterness and forgive this man and restore him back into relationship, guess what you're doing? You're letting Satan set up camp in your heart and you're not even aware of it. And guess what? You've given him a foothold in your life. And so it protects us spiritually from the enemy and his schemes. And so in just a moment, we're going to come and celebrate around the Lord's table. And the Bible says that before we do that, that man should examine himself. And so what should I examine myself for? Number one, is there anything I need to ask the Lord to forgive me of? Where I need to be a recipient of his mercy and confess that. Number two, is there anybody horizontally that I need to pursue reconciliation with and forgive them? And they might even be here this morning. But you know that when you leave here, you're going to have to make that choice and engage in that process. And so Angela's going to lead us in a time of worship, and we're going to pass the elements around while she leads us in worship. And as she sings, I'm just going to encourage you to, to meditate and to ask the Lord to examine your own heart. And again, if you're here and you're a baptized believer, we invite you to celebrate the Lord's table with us. If that doesn't describe you, uh, just pass the elements to someone else and uh, meditate on these great truths that God in His mercy wants to forgive you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let's bow our heads for this time of worship and ask the Lord to search our hearts as these elements come today. Father, we, we cannot help but realize how desperate for your mercy we are, how guilty we stand before you. And yet through Christ, you don't offer us wrath, you offer us grace. And so, God, for those who've experienced the mercy of Christ for our sins, may we be quick to be generous to the people around us who need to experience forgiveness as well. And so, God, as we come and celebrate these elements, I pray that we would come with a right heart and clean hands, that we would confess our sins before you, and confess our lack of forgiveness toward others. And so move in our hearts today. May these elements remind us of the great sacrifice that purchased our forgiveness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.